Amen. It's strong enough today to wash sin away. Would you stand this morning as we come Christians joined to sing? Come Christians joined to sing. Hallelujah. Making Way uh, campaign, I was told that we have some members of the class of 1965 from Pineville High School uh, visiting with us today. If you're in our congregation, class of 1965, would you please stand? We want to recognize you and give you a round of applause. Welcome, celebrating the 50th anniversary. Thank you so much for being back home with us at First Baptist. A lot of things are going on as we prepare to reach generations for the Lord. And uh, just to update you on what's been happening with Making Way this week, a lot's been going on. Our children uh, recorded testimonies last Sunday morning that you'll be seeing uh, in a couple of weeks. They decorated pillowcases then during Sunday school that they're going to be putting all of their canned goods that we're bringing to put in there. They prayed for those canned goods and those bags and who will receive them. They'll be taking those pillowcases to the Main Street Baptist Mission. And then also all children from babies through sixth grade received a a little bank, a church-shaped bank, to put their money in as they prepare to give to Making Way. 
Then yes, last Sunday morning I talked about the generations coming together. Well, last Sunday afternoon, uh, our act teams and some of our older ladies got together and they made pillowcases for hospice patients. We did a lot of pillowcase stuff last week. Uh, pillowcases, they made these for the hospice patients. And uh, that was a great time to see those ladies working with our teenagers. Some of those girls never sewed before. They got to do it for the first time. A really exciting ministry. And then, of course, work began this week on uh First project of phase one, the dump truck rolled in, and uh, stuff's been getting torn out. And uh, it's exciting to see us uh, getting ready to put in new restrooms over in the snack bar and also getting ready for the elevator that will go in that building. Uh, We also are showing videos each week, as you know. Those are being posted to our church uh, website, also to our social media accounts on Facebook and Twitter. So be sure to look at those, like them, share them, get the word out about what God's doing here. That's very important for the choir because they don't get to see any of the videos. Uh, Y'all get to see them, but the choir doesn't, so uh, they have to rely on seeing them on the Internet. Also, I want to pay... Point your attention to the commitment card that's in the worship guide today. Uh, Again today, if you haven't uh, yet made that out and prepared, just a reminder that next Sunday, May 3rd, is the day we will bring those back. We'll have a special time to uh, bring those forward as part of our uh, commitment to making way. There will be a couple of boxes up here where you can drop those in. Every commitment is going to be kept confidential. Um, The only thing uh, anyone other than our financial secretary who records all these will see is the total number given by the entire church family. And we'll be announcing that uh, later on in May. Just uh, you can you will write in the white part your total commitment to making way. And then uh, I we plan to give the above amount as follows weekly, monthly, or maybe you just say. Uh, We're going to give something uh, as follows. The blank is as God provides. Uh, I had to do that on mine. I know what we're going to do monthly and all, but then there's a question mark on some of it. I'm not real sure how we're going to pay it, but we're just trusting that the Lord will do that. And then put your name, address, and and contact information there. And if you need information on giving a non-cash asset, uh, we're partnering with the Louisiana Baptist Foundation, and they uh, handle those transactions for us. And so we can put you in contact with them so that you can move forward with that. Um, Today we're focusing on making way for worship. The largest project of our our first phase of our master plan is this room uh, in this building. Uh, This room will be updated with new seating, uh, new carpet, new uh, paint, a lot of plaster repairs, stained glass repairs. Also on the front end we'll be adding new restrooms and constructing a new usher room and bride's room that will each have their own restroom. And so we'll, we'll have a lot uh, better access out front for uh, people to uh, be able to um, have the restroom facilities and be more welcomed. But as we go through this project, continually remember, we do not give to a budget or a building. We give to reach people. And one of the exciting things that's coming out of this are the stories that people are sharing. And I wanted to share one of those this morning. Uh, Monica Marques uh, sent this to me last Sunday afternoon, and she wrote this. Shortly after John and I were married is when the most recent split occurred. I was still a member of my home church. It was a sad, sad situation to say the least. And I'll be the first to admit that we were so, so close to leaving, but decided to tough it out and not follow all the other people our age. John literally grew up there. So I didn't want to push the issue that I was not happy and got nothing out of the service and felt so alone. It was awful to drop Nolan off in the nursery, and he was the only baby there for many, many Sundays. I'm not exaggerating. We basically had the Fontenot kids and Nolan. 
I'll say I'm so glad God did not lead us to another church. We had ten two-year-olds in Parker's class this morning with several more coming in as it got closer to big church time. I wasn't even supposed to teach, but was asked as I walked in the door and was happy to help. And Wednesday night, we had 17 mission friends, not counting the three-year-olds. I know numbers are not everything, but having friends at church makes the kids want to go. I'm so excited to see all generations receiving some benefit of the renovations, but admittedly, I'm especially excited to see a much-needed update to the children's area, since that's where most of my time is spent. It is such a joy to work with all the kids. I love it when I see them outside church and they run up and give me a big hug. I'm not a lifelong member of the church, but I feel close to many people. They truly are our extended family. I'm proud of the turnaround the church has made and proud to be a member, even though it took me many years to decide it is the place for me. That's why we're making way, to make a difference in people's lives and for people to belong and to say, I'm proud of what God's doing in our church. May we continue in worship this morning. Let's stand together, pressing on to higher ground. I'm pressing on the upward way to heights I'm gaining every day to bring out
Jesus knows everything about us. And Jesus knows where we are. We've come here today, lots of us, with just all kind of different circumstances and things going on in our lives. Jesus is the constant. In Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16, we read, For we do not have a high priest priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but one who is in every respect has been tempted just as we are yet without sin let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need Jesus is our constant remember all the things that he's done all the the times of trouble all the victories but through it all we worship him we give him our praise this next song we're going to sing we will remember talks about those things it talks about everything from the the day that we came to know him the storms of life the triumphs the tragedies as we sing this song together pray that you would just reflect upon what the lord's done in your life where you are where he wants you to go, what he's taken you through. We remember today all that he has done. Sing this with me. We will remember. We will remember.
back to the day that Jesus saved you, the day you gave your life, your heart to Him. He is faithful. He will never leave us or forsake us. Let's sing this together. I still remember the day you saved me. I still remember the day you saved me. take care of all of this. We don't need to worry about it. And I agree. But we've also got a role to play. It says in Exodus 31, the Lord also spoke to Moses and look, I've appointed my name, Bezaliah, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I've filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold and silver and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting. To carve wood for work in every craft. And I've also selected Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. And I've placed wisdom with every skilled craftsman in order to make all that I've commanded you come to fruition. You know, the Lord has generously given to us people in our congregation like Doug Ash, Judge Ferris, and others with experience, craft, talents. And yet all of us are called... Because after Moses said this and said, these people have done this and this is the way we're going to do it. I'm going to generously give you what you need, but you need to participate in this. It said now. Many of the the, the entire Israelite community over in 35 Exodus 20. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit was prompted. Who came and brought an offering to the Lord to construct the tent of meeting for every use and to make holy garments. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord. That's about Christian growth. And that's what we're all about. That's what this planning is about. That's what the praying is about. But it's all about not necessarily building a building. It's about reaching people, but it's about building ourselves, living stones for Christ. Being generous because he's generously given us things. Pray on that, people.
Let us pray. Lord, I thank you for all that you do. I thank you for the many ways that you bless us. Lord, as our hearts are heavy today, I ask that you especially be with the Bill and Albritton families. I can personally testify that you never leave us in unspeakable tragedy. I ask that you give us the wisdom that we need to minister to them in the days and weeks and months to come. Lord, as we prepare on this building program, I ask that you allow us to dig deep in our hearts and find what you want us to do. I ask that you will bless these offerings that we provide for, back to you. Thank you for all that you do. In your almighty name I pray. Amen.
serving as a special meeting to me because it was the first place that my husband and I joined. And so it was our first church together, and it was our first time not being members of separate churches. And what we were looking for was a church um, that had a great worship that was really trying to worship the Lord, preaching that was very biblical, um, that whenever you left, you're like, wow, I can really apply that to my life. And, you know, we went to several different ones, and we came here, and we both just agreed that this was a place for us. You know, that's where I made my profession of faith and where I was baptized at the age of nine. So that that room is one of the biggest memories that I have here at First Baptist Church. What we experienced the first Sunday we walked through the doors, uh, that will always be with me. The feeling that we've got of, of, of worship, fellowship, the friendship, the atmosphere, the, the leadership. I said, well, I don't we're not going to look anywhere else. We found what I was looking for. So, My precious memories are having them taking up a whole pew with uh, our daughter and her husband and our son and his wife and our youngest daughter and just standing and singing together and worshiping together knowing that they love the Lord and that they're in a place full of people that love the Lord. I feel like this is where we come to meet with God, to bow down and to worship Him. When I worship here, I feel like the Spirit of God is truly here. It's a mixed worship service, so you have a mix of hymns as well as contemporary music, and I love that you can look around and see everyone worshiping together. I feel like I'm a part of a bigger plan. I feel God is very near to me. Uh, It's uh, not only in the preaching, but in the singing, and to, I like to watch faces in the sanctuary and to see how it is affecting them. I see people accepting Christ as their Savior, getting baptized, and it happens on a regular basis here, and it's, it's very important to do that, to, to further the kingdom of God. I have a sense of completeness, and it makes me equipped to go throughout the week and spread God's love and God's word. The greatest memory in this room for me was uh, a Father's Day service that my dad came to church with me. It was a great bond between me and my dad. My greatest memory in this room was the candlelight service last Christmas. My family and I were on the balcony and to see all the children up at the front with Pastor Stewart while he read the Christmas story from his Bible really brought a warmth to my heart and just think that all these children are our future that is so important for us to equip them with what they need. In 1959, when Joe and I were members here, uh, we dedicated the sanctuary. And I can't tell you the excitement I felt that morning. Excuse me. It was just, it struck me as beautiful. And it still is. But you know, it's like us. We have aged, and so is it, and so it needs some care. Worship brings us into the presence, to the throne room of God. Worship is important because it takes our mind off of ourselves, and we intentionally, by an act of our will, choose to put our focus on God and who He is. Worship is the church. I mean, that's... that's the center of the church is worship. It's just a joy to be here 
and uh, to be filled with the Spirit week after week. So it's not just the worship service, but it's a time that we can get together and share our joys and share our sorrows. And worship is crucial to a thriving and growing church because it's what really brings us together and bonds us as a body. It's not just an act that we do, but it's, in a sense, you could think of it as the lifeblood of the church. When we're in that room together worshiping, we are worshiping as one, and that's a wonderful feeling. gather together in the, this room, we experience powerful things together as some of those testimonies shared. I wish we had the ability to record everyone's memories and testimonies. We would certainly have some amazing stories. And when we come on a, on a day like today where some of us are heartbroken and we're grieving and, and we gather to worship and we, we hear Psalm 27 sung, it says, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I be afraid And we sing about, we will remember the times when you've been faithful, God. As we walk through life's darkest hours, we will look back at all you have done. And we will shout, our God is good. And he is the faithful one. I find that interesting. In the midst of a dark time, we can look back and give praise to God because he is our rock. He's the only rock that we have. And we get that power when we gather together in the room together for worship. I remember the Sunday after my dad passed away. We buried him on a Thursday. Rebecca and I stayed with mom uh, for another week or two after that. And that Sunday we went with to her to church, the First Baptist Church LeCount. And frankly, I don't know that any of us really wanted to be there, but we went because we knew we needed to be. And that morning they sang, How Great Thou Art. And at first I started out thinking, how great thou art. But by the end of the song, I was picturing my dad as I always would picture him singing in the congregation when I had the privilege of leading worship there for a couple of of years with his bright face. And I thought, now dad is in heaven praising God, singing how great thou art. And so by the end of the song, I was really singing how great thou art. That kind of presence and power comes in a worship space, when we gather together as the people of God. I want to take us back this morning to the dedication of the first permanent worship structure for God's people. We find the dedication in Second Chronicles chapter 6, and you can go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. We're going to camp out on Solomon's prayer of dedication. And as we do, I want us to see... Some of the things that a place of worship is, and I think those things are going to be very applicable to us today as we celebrate, as we move forward, but also as we grieve the loss of one of our members who was actually on our long-range planning committee and our steering committee for this project. I want to take us back this morning to this dedication of the temple You remember for years and generations, the people of God had worshipped God in a tent. That tent, known as the tabernacle, was a portable structure that they could take with them from Sinai through the desert, uh, in their wilderness wanderings, and into the promised land as they conquered it. And as they finally were able to establish the permanent center for the government and the religious structure in Jerusalem under the 
kingship of King David. David had in his heart to build a permanent house of worship for God. He wanted to build a temple, but God said, no, it's not going to be for you. It'll be for your son. You go ahead and collect resources and, and make a way for Solomon to do that, and, and then Solomon will build it. And so David did. He collected resources, put those together, and then on that next uh, when Solomon took the reign, Solomon built that incredible palatial structure. It was magnificent. I've seen all kinds of ranges of numbers of what it could have cost. The highest number I've ever seen was it could have been $75 billion in today's money. It was an incredible thing. Tons of gold, tons of silver, tons of precious jewels. It took seven years to build that temple, and when all the construction was finished, it was time to worship there. And so Solomon had the people move the worship furnishings that they had constructed to the temple. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They had it out in the the court first. They sacrificed there before God. They prayed to God. Then they took the Ark of the Covenant, put it in its place in the Holy of Holies, and the priest backed away never to go in that space again. And then Solomon addressed the people. Recounting for them the promise that God had given to David, recounting for them the vision to build this structure, and then he turned to God in prayer. And as Solomon turns to God in prayer, he prays for the purposes of this house of worship. And he walks through certain things that he hopes that he will see happen And as we journey through this prayer, I want us to allow these purposes to sink into us and to realize that they're the same purposes that we have for this room still today. The first purpose that Solomon makes clear is that this is a place for prayer. As Solomon goes before the Lord in prayer in verse 14, he says, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you. In heaven or on earth, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. He begins declaring who God is and what God has done. And then he acknowledges that God keeps his promises. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, with your mouth you have promised. And with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. He knows that God is, is far too great to be contained in a, in a room, in a building. And yet, Solomon prays that God will be with the people when they pray there. Skip down to verse 19. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place of which you have said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer your servant prays toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. A place of worship should be a place of prayer. If worship is communion with God, then prayer should certainly be a part of that conversation. Solomon prayed toward the temple and at the temple. Now, we can pray anywhere, and we certainly don't have to bow down towards 901 Main Street. Uh, We don't have those restrictions on us. God is with us in, in our Temple, if we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, He is with us all the time. 
But yet there is something special about coming together and praying in this place. And praying together in this place. Some of the most powerful times of prayer are when we gather together and we pray. Maybe it's for a special upcoming uh, event or something that we're being called to do. Maybe it's simply to gather together as we are this morning and praying for brokenness and, and heartache that's in our church. But there is something about coming together for prayer that is powerful when it takes place in this room. And we should never, never discount the privilege of being able to come together and pray. Sometimes when we plan a special prayer event, people will say, oh, well, we're just going to pray. How tragic a statement that is. Because sometimes I feel we need to do a whole lot more praying and maybe less preaching. A whole lot more praying and less singing. A whole lot more praying and less Sunday school sometimes. We need to pray. Never let it be said, oh, we're just praying. Because this is to be a house of prayer. Jesus said that, quoting the prophet Isaiah Jesus got a little ticked when people weren't praying. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. The second purpose of this place is that it is a place of promises. Verses 22 and following say this, when a man wrongs his neighbor and is required to take an oath, and he comes and swears the oath before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge between your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing down on his own head what he has done. Declare the innocent not guilty, and so establish his innocence. Now, the temple was a place where oaths were made as a part of legal proceedings. An oath is a promise. It's a pledge. And a worship space is a wonderful place for promises. We stand before God in this place as a body of believers, and we say, I promise. There's a lot of promises take place in this room. One of the first promises that takes place is when a mother and father come across this platform holding an infant child and they promise before God in this church that they're going to raise that baby in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. We call it parent and child dedication because it's really more of a parent's dedication than it is a baby dedication because the parents are promising We're going to raise this child so that one day they'll trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's neat today. Two children that were dedicated, that I had the privilege of of dedicating, were baptized this morning. Seeing that promise fulfilled. Another major promise that happens is just that. Salvation. When someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ saying, I know that I'm a sinner, I want Jesus to save me, and now I pledge my life to him. I'm promising to follow him all the days of my life. It is a significant promise. And then, of course, there's the promise that takes place when a husband and wife stand right about here on their wedding day. And they promise to love and to cherish for better or for worse in sickness and in health. Forsaking all others until death does them part. Just a very couple of years ago, Chris and Amanda Beal stood right here. Who would have thought just a few years later that they would already be separated in death at 27 years old? But they made a promise right here before God. There are promises that are made 
time and time again. Several times a year, at least once, sometimes twice, sometimes three times, we have men who kneel right down here and they're dedicating themselves as we ordain them to the deacon ministry or the gospel ministry. We have the privilege of doing that for Jacob Vollum next Sunday night. It's a promise to God. I'm giving my life to you, God. But major events like dedications, baptisms, weddings, and ordinations aren't the only promises that are made because every Sunday you and I make a promise to God when we hear the message and we receive it and we say, God, I promise to live that out in this next week. This is a place where promises are made. This is also a place for pardon. Verses 24 through 25, when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you. And when they turn back and confess your name, praying and making supplication before you in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them back to the land you gave to them and their forefathers. Solomon anticipates a time when the people will fail God. And so he prays that the people can find pardon from him. At this temple, we all fail God. In fact, we all have the same greatest need in our lives, and that is forgiveness. It's the greatest need any of us have, and this is the place where we can come and we can find pardon. We can come burdened and broken over our sin. We can lay it before God in confession and repentance, and we can be pardoned for it. And when true pardon comes, restoration follows. Do you see that in the, in the text? There's a progress that we notice there where a person turns back, they confess, they make supplication, meaning they're asking or begging God for this forgiveness. God hears, He forgives, and He brings them back. Aren't you glad God doesn't leave us where we were? But He forgives us. Here and throughout Solomon's prayer, he mentions over and over again, praying for forgiveness. It stuck out to me as I read through this prayer and studied it. It struck me how often in our prayer times we pray about organs and seldom about sin. We pray to push back sickness, and yet so often we don't pray to push back sin. And yet Solomon is consumed with praying about sin, praying for forgiveness, praying for pardon, even before those sins come. I pray that we would do a lot more of praying for forgiveness in addition to praying for our sicknesses. Because the greatest sickness that anyone has is the sickness of sin. Praying for pardon, this is a place of pardon. This is also a place for, for provision. In verses 26 through 31, Solomon talks about all kinds of calamities that can come upon this society that was basically agrarian. He begins by talking about when the heavens shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you. And when they pray toward this place and confess your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and Forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land that you gave your people for an inheritance. Israel being an agrarian 
culture was very, very concerned about things that related to agriculture. And so they were concerned about droughts and insects, which are talked about, and enemies that can destroy your crops and lands, which Solomon also addresses. They were concerned about famine and plague that can affect both people and livestock. So Solomon prays about these real, very pressing needs of the people. And, of course, he saw that oftentimes God allowed that to happen to the people of Israel because of their sin. And so he says, God, when they sin and when they repent, then hear and heal their land. The house of God is to be a place for provision. It's a place where needs can be met. And in our day, it's a place where needs can be met, especially among people who are our church members. When a church member has a need, then the church rallies together to meet that need. We read about that in the early church in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, where we read about the early church selling their possessions and their goods and then giving to anyone who had need then. They saw a need. They sold what they had to try to meet that need. Never should a church member go without a need being met. We typically handle that kind of work in several ways. Oftentimes, needs are met through our benevolence fund, not just for church members, but people outside the church. Each time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we receive an offering that goes into our church ministry fund. We also have our deacons who have a special project fund, and they often will help, especially church members, with some pressing need in their family life. And other times, a Sunday school class will rally around a Sunday school member or a department member and meet a need. Or sometimes there's just one church member meeting another church member's need and we never even hear about it. But this is a place for provision. We meet needs because Jesus meets our needs and we want to be sure to provide for others. Not only is this a place for prayer and for promises and pardon and provision, but this is also a place for people. In verses 32 through 33, Solomon looks ahead And he sees people coming. He says, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people, Israel. And they know that this house I've built bears your name. The passion of the Lord himself is caught in these verses. God's greatest desire, his passion, is that all people would know him, that all people would have the opportunity to worship him. Now, he does not force himself on anyone, and he does not promise to save everyone if they don't repent. But his heart passion is that everyone would repent and worship him, and he would have a heart felt intimate relationship with them and the sanctuary is a place for people to come and to often have that opportunity to find such a relationship with God. We never know who might be in this room on a given Sunday morning or any time we gather. We never know what kind of heartache is going on in people's lives. And they are waiting to be ministered to by the Lord himself and by the people of God. 
Maybe they're ministered to by the way we worship. Maybe they're ministered to by the message. Maybe they're ministered to by special music or through a prayer or by a handshake and a smile or simply a friendly embrace. But this is a place where people come. People come who are hurting. People come who are broken. There may be a person here who's wondering if this whole Jesus thing is even for real. And they're looking around trying to figure it out by how we react and how we interact. There may be people contemplating suicide and they're wondering if God really cares. And do the people of God really care? We never know. But this is to be a place for people. This is also to be a place for protection. Solomon envisions a time when wars will take place because as a land bridge connecting Africa and Asia and Europe, Israel was a tiny strip of land that everyone wanted to own. And so Solomon knew that they would go to war, possibly more than any other nations. But when they did, he prayed for the protection and the upholding of the cause. The temple was a sanctuary. We call this a sanctuary. The word means a place of refuge or protection. It's a place we can come out of the craziness of life that sometimes consumes us and we can find peace and we can find solace and we can find refuge and we can find praise and we can find joy and we can find hope and we can gather together and we can find the protection we need in the midst of the crazy storms of life. And when we do, when we escape into this place, for a few moments, laying our warring burdens down at the feet of Jesus, we get to experience Him speaking truth into our lives. And we go back into the world with a renewed hope and a renewed faith and a renewed strength, knowing that our God is faithful. And we also have the strength in To minister to people in need. This is a place for protection. One of the ways that we protect people is by ministering to them. And and for just a moment, I want to give you a few pointers in ministering to a family that's been through a tragedy. We all want to say things. But sadly, many of the things that we want to say that may be true, like God has a plan... This will work out for better. God is in control. God was with Chris. All of those things that are true often don't bring comfort. Because when you've just lost a son or a husband in the sea and you say God was with Chris, then you think, then why in the world didn't God save him? And you know what? That's an okay attitude to have. God will get them through that. There will be a day when they'll say, God was with him. But right now in this time, the best thing you can do is say, I'm sorry. Say, I'm praying for you. And be there. Just love them. Just love them. This is a place for protection. But most importantly, and this is what we all need, this is a place for God's presence. This is a place for God's presence. As Solomon ends this prayer, 
He asks God to come and to fill this place. He says, arise, Lord, come into this place. Come and rest here. And we see that he does. It says, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven, consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, the glory of the Lord, filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. They had begun their procession into the temple in that way back in uh, chapter 6 and chapter 5. And then now, as they come to the end of this prayer, they end the same way, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. His presence is here. And that Shekinah glory of the Lord descended upon that place and filled it with His mighty presence. This is a place For God's presence. For if we do not have the presence of God in this place, then there is nothing different from this place than any other place in town. Any other venue in town. But in 1959, a group of people dedicated this place to the glory of God and to the presence of God. And ever since then, people have been coming Sunday after Sunday. 2,912 Sunday morning services right here in this room. If an average of 700 people attended those 2,912 services, that's like two, over 2 million people have come through this place on a Sunday morning. If you add conferences and revivals and Sunday night and Wednesday night and days when there were way more than 700, you're well over 3 million, maybe 3.5, maybe as many as 4 million people have been right through here seeking God's presence. No wonder the pews are falling apart. But those people came seeking God. Think about that. 2 million people coming into this room and saying, meet with us. And something tells me that every time God was here meeting with somebody. We come here because we know we can find God here. Whether we're sitting in the pews, kneeling at the altar, being baptized in the baptistry, singing, playing instruments, leading in worship. We know that we're going to meet with God here because this is a place for God's presence. And so I want to conclude this message in a different way this morning. As Solomon prayed, I want us to pray. And I had planned on doing this even before the bad news of last night, but I think it's even more appropriate now. If you can, if you can kneel where you are, and our pews are far enough apart where you probably can or you can go into the aisle. If you can kneel where you are, I'd ask that you would kneel. If you're not physically able, that's fine. Just stay seated. But if you're physically able to kneel where you are, I'd ask that you'd kneel with me in prayer as we pray this morning. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Thanking Him for His presence. Oh, Father God. This morning we come to You knowing that you're with us. You say in your word where two or three are gathered in your name that you are in the midst of them and you are no doubt here. 
Lord, you were here waiting for us to even arrive this morning. You knew everything that we would come into this room with. You knew the heartache. You knew the tragedies of yesterday. But you know all the details of our lives. All the things that that each one of us is going through that, that I have no idea about. And God, you knew we'd be coming. And you knew the words we would need to hear. And you knew the presence we would need to feel. And so God, as we bow in this place, we humbly bow before you, thanking you for your presence. God, I'm grateful that people say that they experience the presence of God in this room. And Lord, I pray that never changes. God, I pray that we would come into this place not to worship, but that we would come into this place worshiping ready to see you do something great among us because we've been walking with you all week. God, may this be a house of prayer where we value prayer and we seek you for more than just healing of physical ailments, as important as that is, but we seek you for spiritual healing and we seek you for awakening and we seek you for restoration and we seek you for breaking of bondages and we seek you for transformation. We pray, God, that this would be a place where promises are made and where promises are kept and where promises are celebrated. And in a world that is making all kind of craziness out of promises, especially out of the promise of marriage, we pray, God, that the truth of your word will reign supreme here in this room and that your promises will be upheld. We pray, God, that you would give us pardon when we sin. And that, God, when we do sin, we would see it, we would confess it, we would repent of it, and we would give it to you that we might be set free. And we pray, God, for the provision. Lord, when we are in need, we pray you would provide. We pray for the people that will come. Lord, millions more in years to come. And we pray, God, that you would help each person that enters this room to experience you. And, Lord, when there's... Uh, forgiveness that needs to be given, we pray that it will be given and not held as a grudge. For when something like a tragedy happens, as we've experienced as a congregation, we realize how petty our little differences are. And so, God, we, we say, I forgive. We get over the little stuff so that we can pray about the big stuff. God, we pray this morning for protection. Protection for our people. Protection from in this world that is where we're going to face some spiritual warfare in the decades to come, I'm afraid. And I pray for protection. And I pray that this will be a place of sanctuary and refuge. And God, we pray that in those times and every time we will feel your presence. We thank you, God, for your presence that's in this place. We give you ourselves. We consecrate ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.